Oh, hi. Uh, it's it's Tom Tom Poles. Um, we I'm here with um, Brian. Brian, do you want to say hello? Hi, it's Brian Rooney. And I'm joined today by Ronan Breen, who's a great friend of mine. Um, Ronan uh, and I went to med school together, and Ronan um, is a respiratory doctor. Do you want to introduce yourself, Ronan? Yeah, hi, I'm Ronan Breen, and um, I'm lucky enough to be a respiratory doctor in London. Um, today we, we're going to talk a bit about the huge changes in the landscape um, in um, in terms of the coronavirus. And Ronan, um, we you know we wanted to just talk about it from a cancer perspective. Uh, we know that there's a big problem, um, and we know that. Um, uh, the, the way we're managing our patients and the way the hospitals are working has completely changed in the last yeah. day or so. And what I really wanted from you today was to give us some idea about the virus, um, a bit about the uh, the way the virus is behaving and the way it's affecting our cancer patients. And then, Brian, perhaps you and I could talk in the end about the practical, what we're doing on the ground level. Ronan, do you want to kick off for me? Yeah, well, I mean, the first thing to say is obviously, you know, it is a very, very new virus. And, um, you know, people's knowledge is changing day by day as they see more cases. Um, in particular, it struck me today when I was at a meeting is that we, we in, you know, in the UK have been in this early phase, the so-called containment phase. And so we've been seeing initially a lot of people who actually have been fairly well, um, tending to be sort of younger people. And then we're now starting to see people who are actually more unwell, slightly older. And, of course, we're now starting to see deaths. Um, there seems to be quite a wide variation in the sort of presentations we're seeing in hospital. But my understanding is that, you know, the fundamentals are that people seem to get a respiratory illness manifest with fevers and with feeling tired, muscle aches, pretty sudden onset, and then it seems to be a cough. It's a, it's a dry cough people get. It's not initially there was a lot of talk about sort of cold-like symptoms or flu-like symptoms, but it's not like a cold. It doesn't seem to be. It's, it's the coughing seems to be key. And Ronan, when is the infective period and how long is the incubation period and how does one get how does one pick the infection up so i think how one picks it up is 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 relatively easy and then it's it's spread from respiratory droplets and so this is something that yeah people can cough although as i said it seems to be a lot of people with a dry cough um people will pass it onto their hands and there's a lot of you know the importance of of hand washing is that's easy for someone to cough something onto their hand and then touch a surface and then someone else has touched the surface and then you transmit it onwards in that way there's a lot of transmission probably happening um hands onto lips hands onto nose hands onto eyes so the importance of trying to interrupt that fairly routine behavior of touching your face a lot um, and washing hands as much as possible Ronan, this is Brian. I just wanted to ask, is there is there knowledge about how long the virus lasts on surfaces? Because I've heard different things. Gene, I couldn't give you a precise figure, Brian. I think it's always assumed the viruses can last 
indoors, you know, for, for many hours, if not days. Okay. Um, I think this is a, my understanding of this virus is actually it's fairly easy to kill. So, you know, it responds to wiping down of surfaces. Um, it's fairly easy. It's thought that it probably doesn't respond very well to being outside. So that, you know, transmission. So meeting people outside is a good tactic rather than sort of saying, I'm not going to meet people, actually meeting someone in, in a in an external environment rather than being in, inside is probably a good way of avoiding it. Ronan, just moving onwards, let's talk a little bit about what one can expect and how one can handle cancer type patients, because we know from some of the data from particularly in the Lancet, there was quite a comprehensive publication. The numbers are very small, but it suggested the mortality is, is very high. The numbers of 30 percent are being beaten around. What's your take on that? Yeah, I, I looking at the sort of figures this morning, not, you know, not in general, just just what, what's um, in the newspapers and on the news and also I think Johns Hopkins has a very good site. And it, it struck me how wide the variation is in death rates from different countries, let alone from different individual groups within those countries. Um, and one of the other striking things, you know, how different the um, inf infection rates or countries reporting infections in different parts of the world. And we had a nurse came back today from, from Ghana. I said, was anyone talking about coronavirus? And of course she said, no, not really, because they haven't had any cases. Um, and I'd be interested, I don't know, Brian, if there's any evidence in, in the states of differential rates of infection, say, from the north to the to the south. Yeah, I don't think so. I'm actually just looking. Um, there's a, uh, a website that Johns Hopkins has that has sort of like a map with, you know, varying red circles. Maybe you've seen it. And uh, yeah, I was just looking at Africa and it looks like Egypt and Algeria, but nothing south of that. And if, as I look at the U.S. map, it's mostly... It's pretty spread. I don't see a, a gradient like you suggest. Right. A lot of New York cases yeah. in L.A., but that might just be populous cities and not anything else. Yeah. So I think the short answer is no so far. Yeah, okay. That's interesting. This was some, this has been discussion about maybe it's, you know, temp air temperature is, is an important variable. Yeah, but I do see But I think getting in, back to your point, sorry. Brian. I was going to say, I do see cases in like Saudi Arabia and the Middle East, so that yeah. I assume those are hot and dry right now. Yeah, I think getting back to your point, though, Tom, is that I guess the mortality does seem to be higher in older patients. It's definitely, it's higher in people with comorbidities. But I guess that will encapsulate an awful lot of cancer patients. For sure. Is there any evidence that it's higher in patients whose blood counts are suppressed? Or, or there's probably not well, enough that, You know, I looked at that today, and yeah, I don't think there's enough experience um, you, you'd assume that you are more prone, you know, as in a flu season where you get flu, but what kills a flu patient often will be the secondary bacterial infections. Mm -hmm. So I, I, my guess is there's, there'll be a similar sort of mechanism potentially going on. And what, um, you know, aside from sort of common sense things, you know, we're, I'm at Vanderbilt, we're sort of in the midst of, you know, we're screening people at the door for symptoms. If they're mm. asymptomatic, they come in. If they have suspicious symptoms, we're sending them either to the ER or an outdoor screening tent to get tested. There's obviously constraints on the number of kits and the timeline for testing, which I think is, uh, you know, a yeah. global issue. Um, mm. But 
and we're trying to figure out what to do with our clinical trial patients, which is another whole discussion. But are there specific, aside from hand washing and the common sense things, are there specific advice for cancer patients? Not that I've seen. I, I was talking to our infectious diseases lead, who's, who's one of the leads in the UK during this. And um, there, there is no specific advice in the same way there's no specific advice for, say, people, you know, on immunosuppressing drugs for, for inflammatory conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, they undoubtedly will be more, uh, more risk. And, and we're doing what, what you're doing, it sounds like, you know, trying to assess people at the door, asking fairly simple questions. Now we're moving into a, a phase where I think we're less asking about where you've been or where your contacts have been and more just assuming that anyone with a, a flu-like illness or unexplained respiratory illness um, needs to be tested. And if they're unwell, they need hospital care, they come in. And if not, you try and get them out and, and self-isolate. Mm-hmm. Question, you know, we're trying here at Vanderbilt to figure out, um, in essence, what to do with the patient flow, both off protocol and on protocol. Mm. So we have, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of visitors. And, you know, as you know, some patients are more essential to come to hospital and have treatment scheduled infusions and injections and whatnot. And others might be just a toxicity check. And so... Mm. Our general stance is, is I think we're trying to eliminate patients from coming where it's not absolutely essential um, because we assume that their risk of infection is higher from coming, you know, walking in the hospital, sitting in the waiting room, et cetera. And I just wanted to verify that assumption. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And that's what we're doing. Um, I think it's a reasonable assumption that you're at slightly increased risk in a setting where there are more unwell, unwell people than you would in, in normal settings. I think there's a certain amount of the sort of stuff of traveling. And then you mentioned about not having people waiting. And I think that's re- a really crucial thing, not having people waiting all very close to each other in packed waiting rooms. We, we're so, talking about, sorry, about, um, you know, distancing people kind of a meter apart. And you need to have exposure. You know, they, I, I don't think it's changed. A couple of weeks ago, I was told it's about 15 minutes exposure. Hmm. So if you can avoid people sitting around endlessly or, you know, more than that, then that's going to be really healthy. So you say there needs to be 15 minutes exposure with somebody who has the virus for risk of transmission or, or a That's what risk? it said. Yeah, you know, it's, it's 15, me- 15 minutes exposure within a meter so it's about an arm's length is a good sort of good well, measure of how how try and keep the distance. But there's also droplet exposure. Um, is that right? So if you if it's on a surface, you can pick it up from there. Is is that correct? That's right, Tom. And that's why hand uh, hand hygiene is so important. Well, and it sounds to me it, like hand hygiene number one, hygiene within hospitals number two. And number three is keeping footfall within a hospital to an absolute minimum is going to be crucial. Is that reasonable? I think so. And, you know, getting people in and getting them out. This is not this is not transmitted in the fresh air outside. Um, um, Ronan, and I want your opinion. At our institution, we essentially stopping chemotherapy for prostate cancer. Um, people older people rather than younger people and people on chemotherapy seem to be at higher risk. And the benefits of prostate cancer chemotherapy are are probably 
going to be outweighed by the risks of being in hospital and having and, and, and the, the, the risk of picking up the virus. Um, Brian, what do you think about that? Do you think that's something which you're you're entertaining? Yeah, I think it's totally reasonable. We haven't had that granular of a discussion. Again, it's really just been the last 24 hours that this sort of, you know, patient by patient specifics have, have started to come out. Um, but I basically what we said in the meeting this morning was, you know, look at every patient on your schedule and ask yourself, do they really need to be here? You know, is it something non-urgent like a Zometa infusion or a toxicity check or whatever? Maybe they just, you can do it by phone. You can't do the infusion by phone. But, you know, are there things we can accomplish by phone or telehealth? Are there things that just can be delayed? You know, and if it's palliative chemo with, you know, say marginal benefit that doesn't outweigh the risk of infection, then let's just put it on hold for a while. And hopefully in a few weeks, maybe even a couple weeks, you know, this, the, you know, the, the, the cases will have crested and, and we can sort of go back to some normalcy. Mm. But I think the, the hard part is we don't know when that's going to be. I mean, Ronan, correct me if I'm wrong. We don't know. We have no idea when the peak's going to happen. <laughs> I think, I think that's absolutely right. There is, there is no sense of that at the moment. Yeah. I mean, Tom, one of the things I heard today from our, our oncologists in Lung are looking, are going to stop giving people adjuvant chemotherapy. Yeah. So we've made that decision as well. Um, uh, there are other targeted therapies and immune therapies that one can give. But, you know, we're really I mean, I saw a couple of renal cancer patients today and we were not starting therapy on them until we've got better clarity about what the future holds. Um, and, um, and and of course, the risks with immune therapy may be lower than being neutropenic, of course. But actually, the risk of cancer might be higher. And clearly, mm -hmm. you may need steroids for the side effects and the risk associated with steroids exist. There's a lot of uncertainty. I get the impression that access to a ventilator if you become unwell is really important. Um, is that right, Ronan? And on average, how long are patients on ventilators before there's an improvement? Well, you know, that, that is something I don't know and I don't think is known. I think the patients who become very unwell, so they seem to get bilateral infiltrates. So this is something you see on an X-ray. And the patients who progress, progress to very extensive infiltrates and then seem to go into sort of ARDS type pattern. One of the um, feedback people... from my Italian colleagues is that, um, that they, they're not getting off the ventilator in a day or two. They're spending a week or so on the ventilator. And that's obviously an issue because if you don't have many ventilators, that's going to be a problem from a healthcare perspective. I think that's right. And I, you know, that's what we see with, we see it in flu normally, and we see it certainly in ARDS that, you know, it's not an instant on-off situation. Um, and I think as, as Italy seemed to be seeing, you know, it's very easy to start running out of, of ventilator capacity. Um, and then people will need to make difficult decisions. Brian, what's going to happen in the US? Because I'm told that in Italy, difficult decisions are being made about access to ventilation and support because there's not an infinite resource what's mm -hmm. going to happen in the u.s is there a, is there a... there's certainly no coordinated plan now that i'm aware of and i think each hospital is going to have to wrestle with that you know and it's obviously not just these patients that are on ventilators unfortunately so um it, it was mentioned this morning as starting to happen in other countries where they're triaging patients you know, maybe based um, on age or other parameters. I, that's not happened in the U.S. to my knowledge, certainly not happened here at Vanderbilt. So yeah. I'm hoping we, it doesn't come to that, but it very mel, well may. And there's probably discussions around that. I've just not been involved. Yeah. And I think you, in the U.S., you're probably at about the same stage on the curve as we are. And I think so, we've not yeah. got to that, I mean, close to that point yet, but obviously things can change fast.
Yeah. I just wanted to pick up, Tom, on something you said, just mentioned about immunotherapy, which I think that's something people are going to have to watch very, very carefully because, of course, immunotherapy is very new. It's associated with quite a lot of potential lung inflammatory toxicities. And it may be very difficult to judge actually what's going on in the lung with these. And although immunotherapy is you know, it's good for your immune system, people get over-egged immune responses in, with these viral infections, and that's often what sends them to ITU. And we don't, there's no data that patients on immune therapy are more or less susceptible to viral infections, is there? I'm not aware of any, but it's something that often gets asked around flu season. Yeah, I, I, I'm not aware of that. I okay. just, but you wonder, you know, if you've got a very... Um, florid cytotoxic T-cell response in your lung to a virus, whether you're actually going to get that sort of immunopathology. Yeah. But, I think, you know, but I'm completely speculating. That's sure. really helpful. Um, so just to summarize, um, Ronan, and I'm going to come to you, Brian. Um, Ronan, it sounds to me like we're in an area of, of well, to some extent, uncharted waters. Um, and that's obviously causing a great deal of concern. Um, but different countries at different stages on a positive note it looks like korea and china have managed to control this um do you think the us and uh in the uk and the rest of europe outside of of italy is 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 gonna is gonna be able to do that or do you feel and obviously this is all speculation uh or do you feel that actually we're going more along an italian type route do you know tom i i think it's really heartening to see the the countries where this first emerged have managed to take measures and get things under control. Um, now, of course, probably certainly what you do in China, it's going to be very difficult to replicate anywhere else um, and, and probably impossible to replicate anywhere else. But it gives you a real sense that things can be done to bring things under control. I mean, Italy, that's... you know, the moment I'm just about to go and see my mom and I, you know, one of the things that we always say to my, I always say to my parents and have done for many years is, you know, no one comes around when they've got a cough or a cold. If you're not exposed to people bringing it in, you're not going to get this. And I think that's probably a really important point for your patients as well. We talk about exposure in the hospital and risk. A lot of this will be in domestic situations. So, you know, relatives not coming when they've got an illness is, is, is absolutely crucial. Yeah, and I've, I've given that advice to our cancer patients for years. Just use common sense, you know. Mm. They don't have to zip themselves in a bubble, but don't, you know, limit exposures. And I think that's probably even more true now. I'm sure that patients, their carers and, and doctors are all equally concerned about what the next few weeks holds. Um, Ronan, I think today's been really helpful. Brian, do you want to wrap this up with a few, a few words? Uh, and Ronan, unless there's anything you want to add. No, I think I've. I think we've got to cross all the points. You know, as it's a, it's a, it's an evolving situation, and what we say now, you know, I think we're 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 talking sense, and that's in some ways all you can talk at the moment, and then just see how things how things evolve. I'm I'm optimistic. Actually, things will come under control, but I think it's going to take a lot of effort. Ronan, a vaccine quickly. Sorry, what are the chances of? I was told that November's realistic. Well, yeah, I mean, I saw a figure in, a figure in, in months of it takes about 18 months. Okay. Um, Brian, do you want to wrap this up? Yeah, so this has been really educational. Thanks, Ronan, for joining. I guess I would say, you know, in, in, 
one of the most anxiety producing uh, issues around this coronavirus is uncertainty. And it's somewhat ironic in medicine. We deal with uncertainty all the time. You know, that a scan is interpreted a certain way, that a test result means this or means that. And so sort of part of our training and we take it for granted. But this is an unprecedented level of uncertainty, even for those of us sort of used to dealing with it. And I think that's what's creating anxiety. And so uh, and that's probably why there's been a lot of misinformation out there, et cetera. But I think um, I think we're starting to get a better handle on information. I think a, a common sense, rational approach. I don't think we'll ever have to. Uh, berate somebody about washing their hands again. I think that <laughs> the good news is that, you know, moving forward as we get over this, that people will be extra cautious. And and what the ID doctors have been saying all along about, you know, respiratory precautions and common sense things will now really be common sense and people will actually do it. I, I think, Tom, you know, to sort of uh, dovetail on what you said in terms of who, who do we have come to the center, to the hospital? Who do we keep away? Who do we treat? Who do we not? Um, I think each institution is going to work that out, and I'm, I'm not sure what the right answer is. Um, I think depending on the severity of cases and just, you know, sort of the, your capacity to deal with it, I think different institutions will probably make different decisions about, for instance, starting adjuvant therapy or starting immune therapy and, you know, curative versus non-curative. Those are going to be difficult decisions. And so we're, we're at least here in the U.S., I think, at the beginning of, of starting to think about those things, but hopefully the information provided today for, for caregivers and for patients is, uh, is helpful. And we can maybe come on and do it again in a couple of weeks as, as hopefully we know more and hopefully we're starting to get a handle on this. So yeah, Ronan. let's try again in a week's time and let's see how we get on. Ronan, thanks so much for joining us. Brian. Uh, you're welcome, guys. And, uh, and I hope your meeting with your mum this evening goes, goes well. Good luck there. I'm washing my hands before I see you. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Take Bye, care. Bye.